But this week we're finishing up our series called A New Name. I have loved this sermon series. I have really loved taking a deep look at some stories of transformation in the Bible. Uh, The first week we talked about how God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He took a guy who was a failure and made him into a new nation. And then the week after that we talked about Simon who was called Peter, the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit empowered him to share the message of Jesus with boldness and with authority. And then the third week, Suzanne shared about Naomi and how she called herself Mara and how sometimes we lose sight of the good things that God is doing for us, but that God has never left us and he's never forgotten about us. And last week was Generation Sunday. If you missed it, You missed it, man, because we had a lot of fun. Last week, we talked about Saul's transformation of Saul of Tarsus becoming known as Paul the Apostle and how God transformed his life. So this week, we're going to go really, really far back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham. And this is literally, this is what it looks like if you turn to Genesis chapter 12. This is all we've learned so far about God. And this is all that we have left to go. Going all the way, almost all the way back to the beginning. We're going to talk about the story of Abram and God transforming his life, giving him a new promise and changing his name to Abraham. And so what I want us to know as we jump in here is that we can trust God to do the impossible in our lives. It's one thing for God to change you from a failure into someone who's not a failure anymore. It's one thing for God to empower you to preach the gospel. It's another thing for God to do something in your life, for God to make you a promise that is literally an impossible promise, a promise that only God can fulfill. So this morning, we are, we are going to be talking about uh, three moments that God encountered Abram and what this teaches us about trusting God to do the impossible in our lives. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to talk for a minute about how we can trust God because the promise relies on him. We can trust God because the promise relies on him. So in Genesis chapter 12, we see an encounter between Abram and the Lord. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I feel like I understood Abram a little bit in this moment. Leave your home country and go somewhere else. Go to the land that I will show you. And then God says this to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. Abram got up and he followed the voice of the Lord. What I want us to understand here is that this is actually a bit shocking because like I said, we're 15 chapters in to the Bible. We're just learning who God is. Now, a lot of ancient Near East cultures had gods that they worshiped. This was long before science books. It was long before physics professors and chemistry teachers. They didn't know why the world worked the way they did. So a lot of times they would decide this happens this way because a God made it happen. It ran because something else is making it rain. The sun comes out because there's a God that's making the sun come out. And so people would try to appease the gods and keep the gods happy because if the gods are happy, our crops will grow, our livestock will grow hardy and fat, and we're going to survive if the gods are happy with us. 
And we're going to do whatever we have to do to keep the gods happy. So people went to barbaric measures. We read stories of child sacrifice in the Bible. We read stories of people destroying their own bodies to try to appease the gods. And Yahweh, the one true God, begins to reveal his character here in chapter 15. Because here we have a God who, instead of requiring bloodshed, offers the gift of a promise to Abram where Abram had really done nothing to deserve this moment. God said, I'm going to intervene in your life and make you a promise that is impossible if you rely on anybody else but me. This starts a precedent in scripture of revealing to us the character of God. This is a God who gives good gifts. This is a God who blesses us beyond anything we could deserve or imagine. God in this moment gives an extravagant gift and an extravagant promise. And God starts by saying, I, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. God puts it all on himself. The promise relies on the action of God. God didn't say, if you do this, then I will do this. And then if you do this and keep me happy, then I will do this. No, God started with a promise that relied on his own grace and his own goodness. God's promise to Abram is a free gift in this moment. And God's promise to us is a free gift. There's nothing good enough that we can do to earn God's goodness in our lives. You can't behave well enough to earn God's goodness in your life because it is a free gift. And you can't do anything bad enough to reject God's goodness in your life because it is a free gift. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abram was celebrated as a hero of faith. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Sometimes following God means that you don't know exactly how the road's going to end. You don't know what's behind the door you're opening, but we trust him and we follow. Verse 9 says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. I wonder what that feels like. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham trusted that there was more to the story than just what laid in front of him. Because sometimes trusting God looks like saying yes before we have all the answers. This is hard for me. I like to plan. I like to plan way, way ahead of time, okay? I have sermons planned out through February of 2020. I like to make plans. I don't like to move forward without knowing all the facts. But Abram teaches us here that sometimes trusting God and trusting that the promise relies on the goodness and the faithfulness of God means I have to say yes before I know what I'm getting myself into, I have to say yes before I have all of the answers. But there is an important element of this promise. A few verses later, you know, God shows Abram this land. And he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. The Lord shows him Canaan. But there's one problem in this scenario, which was that Abram didn't have any offspring. 
He's 75 years old. He's moving to a new, new country, and he didn't have any offspring. So he's in, he's, I imagine that in this moment, you know, God shows him, he's like, this is the land that I have for you. And Abram's like, oh God, that's wonderful. And God's like, your offspring will inherit it. And Abram's like, okay, we'll we'll just leave that for now, you know. But the truth is that we can trust God because there's nothing to fear. We can trust God because there's nothing to fear. None of the outcomes will disappoint us when we trust God. We can trust God because there's nothing to fear. We're going to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 15 to the next encounter that God has with Abram. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now I have to wonder with Abram here, I have to wonder what his tone of voice was in this moment. Because this isn't a conversation that happens five minutes later. This is a conversation that happens years later. So when Abram is 75, he's like, okay, well, I I guess maybe if we get lucky, that could happen, you know, whatever. This is years later, and Abram goes, Lord, what can you possibly do about this? I guess a servant's going to get the, the promise that you gave to me. A servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, at this moment, Abram is stuck. He's in a rough place because he can't go back to where he came from. He trusted God. He followed God to a new country where he's a stranger in a foreign land. He's trying to build a life for himself in a new country. So he can't go back to where he came from, but he doesn't know the way forward. I don't know if you've ever been there in your walk with God, but I've been there in my walk with God. Where I'm like, I know what's behind me. I know what God has brought me out of. Thanks for that, God. That was really great. But there's no forward motion. And I don't know where to go from here. And I'm stuck in this moment. I trusted you. You brought me to this place. And I don't know the way forward. Abram can't move forward because the one thing he needs to assure the promise is offspring. And he has no control over this. His wife is barren. He is barren. I feel like I'm in this place sometimes where I want to be obedient to God. I want the revelation of God's promise. I want the fulfillment of God's promise. But I don't know the way forward. There have been moments in my life where I've been praying and I've said, God, I want you to lead me. I want to follow you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I don't know what you want me to do. You have to tell me, God. You have to show me the way forward. And when we're in this moment, it can become so discouraging. And it can become a little bit dark because maybe you, like Abram, maybe you mistakenly think that God forgot about you. I wonder if Abram thought, God, did you forget? Did you move on and take care of some other stuff? I mean, maybe there was a war somewhere, so that's cool. But did you forget about the promise that you made to me? Or maybe Abram felt like a fool for trusting the word of God. 
He's like, man, God, I trusted you, and you're making me look like an idiot here. I'm this 90-year-old guy who's walking around telling people that I'm going to have a son. We often look backwards for the fulfillment of the promise. We look back to where we came from, and we try to figure out and calculate how God did it before, so we can try to figure out and calculate how God's going to do it in the future. But when God does a new thing, he does it in a different way. We can't predict the actions of God, because normally it happens in a way that is beyond our expectations. In Isaiah verse 43, verse 18, Isaiah says this. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. That old country, leave it behind and don't think about it anymore. Don't dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God says, do you not feel what I'm beginning in you? Do you not feel what I'm birthing in you? I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When God starts doing a new thing, it usually involves life coming out of something that was dead. I think that God's two favorite things to do, based on what I read in my Bible, God's two favorite activities are creating something out of nothing and bringing life out of death. When we see the creation of the world, it's darkness. And the spirit is hovering over the darkness and the word from God brings something out of nothing. Because actually in the nothingness, the spirit was already there hovering, waiting for the word of God to come forth. Sometimes in our lives, we're in a place where we're nothing. Or maybe we feel like as a person, we're nothing. We have nothing to offer. We come from poverty. We come from people who are not honored and we have nothing. Or maybe we've made a lot of mistakes. We've messed up and we have nothing. One of God's favorite things to do is to make something out of nothing. So if you're here and you feel like nothing, you're already ahead of the game, man. Everything hadn't been revealed yet. Everything about God, everything about God's plan for humanity hadn't been revealed yet. But God kept telling Abram, hey, I've got this. Hey, Abram, I'm really good at my job. I've got this. I love Abram because Abram was not afraid to ask God questions. Abram was not afraid to challenge God. See, when we talk about the story of Abraham, we usually say, Abram was told to go to a new country, and he went. He didn't ask any questions. And when he was called on to sacrifice the son of promise, when he was called on to sacrifice Isaac, he didn't ask any questions. What faith he had. But in this moment, Abram's asking some questions. He's like, hey, God, I, I, I need to challenge you on this promise you made me. I'm, I'm not feeling real good about you and me right now, God. A while later, we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see Abraham negotiating with God, begging God to redeem the people, begging God to rescue the people. He's not afraid to ask questions and to challenge God. And you know what God's response is to Abram's challenge? God's response to Abram's frustration and disappointment is that God gives him even more reason to hope. God leads Abram outside in that moment, and he says, hey, Look up at the stars for a minute. Now you have to imagine, this was like a few years before electricity was around, okay? So it is absolute darkness. Absolute darkness. And knowing what I know about God, I would guess that there was no moon that night either. Because the stars must have been so brilliant and so bright. And anyway, when you see the stars, they're beautiful. It's captivating. When you come out of the city and you see the stars... 
God's response to Abram's doubt was to lead him gently into a place of even more hope. He's like, hey, Abram, you know how I promised you offspring? You see the stars in the sky? This is where we're going. This is where the plan for your life is going. You can keep asking for a son, but I have plans for you that are going to blow your mind. It's much bigger than what you're asking for. See, all the evidence was contrary to the promise God had made to Abram. But God asked Abram to trust him. Abram's faith was not perfect in this moment because he wanted to know how this was going to happen. I ask God that question a lot myself. When I feel like God speaks a word into my heart, I'm like, oh God, that's so great. But how, how, how is that going to happen? God, let me, let me just figure, let me figure out your plans for me for just a minute and figure out how this is going to happen. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who wrote a great commentary on Genesis, said this. He said, the faith to which Abram is called is not a pious, peaceful acceptance. It is a hard-fought and deeply argued conviction. Abram will not be a peaceful recipient of the promise. Abram wrestled in this moment because he was like, God, I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to happen. And we see that Abram continues to try to take matters into his own hands. So Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What a hero of faith. In the next chapter, his wife comes to him and she says, look, bud, this ain't going to happen. She's like 90 at this point, you know. So she was like, why don't you take my servant Hagar and you have a son by her? That sounds like that's the best thing that we could do. So he fathers a a child by Sarai's servant, Hagar, just to make sure he gives God a backup plan. This hero of faith, he was like, we're here. We got to get over there. There's a barrier in the way. So I'm just going to help God by making sure God has a backup plan. Thank God that as it says in the New Testament, when we are faithless, he is still faithful. When we are faithless, when we doubt his word, he proves himself over and over and over. And always, one more time, I'm like, God, I need you to prove yourself again. I need you to prove yourself again. I fail at faith. I fail at trusting God. But when we are faithless, he is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. The promise relies on God. Sometimes when God doesn't come through for us, we give up and we start making our own plans. So Abram, instead of waiting on God, he usurps Hagar's womb. Hagar was a servant. This was non-consensual, okay? Hagar didn't consent to this plan for her life. She was at the mercy of the power and authority that Abram and Sarai had over her life. And Abram decided, I'm going to run over this person's life because I need to try to help God and have a backup plan for God. But this plan didn't require trust. God's plan required supernatural intervention. There was no way around it. He had to wait for God to intervene. There's a difference between partnering with God and trying to help God. I say a lot here, God wants to partner with us. God wants to partner with us through our giving. God wants to partner with us through our spiritual gifts. There's a difference between us being active and partnering with God versus us trying to help God out. Because sometimes we mistakenly believe that God needs our help. So for Abraham, this was the difference between trusting God to fulfill his promise and him going, you know... I think we need a little deviation. I think we need a little detour 
on getting to the plan that God has for me. I need to help God out. See, partnering with God looks like me being obedient and careful with my finances and supporting the church and being generous with my neighbors. That's partnering with God. Trying to help God means I keep all my money to myself with a tight fist because God might not provide for me, so I need to make a backup plan for myself. Partnering with God means I step out in faith and I use the spiritual gifts God has given me to contribute to my church community and the community around me in my everyday life. Trying to help God means that I step back into the shadows because I say God couldn't possibly use my life. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just take myself out of the game. That's, that's trying to help God. Partnering with God means I spend time getting to know him. I carve time out of my day to read the word and come to know his voice better. Trying to help God means I don't have time to spend with God because I'm too busy trying to help God and figure out my own plans for my life. There's a difference between partnering with God and helping God. God doesn't need our help, but he invites us into partnership. I have no doubt that God could get more done without us. He could get, done, he could get stuff done faster without us. When I was a little girl, once in a while, my mom would invite me to bake cookies with her. You know, and this was so great when I was a kid. And I really thought I was helping her out, you know. I was like, I'm doing something good for my mother by helping her bake cookies. Now that I'm an adult, I understand that you think in your head, oh, this will be a sweet moment. And five minutes later, you're like, why did I do this? This is horrible, you know. And, uh, and the truth is, my mom didn't need my help. And when I helped her make cookies, the cookies were probably a little bit too dry because I measured the flour wrong. And when she would invite me to set the table, probably the napkins were crooked. And I imagine she looked at it and thought, oh, I would love to straighten those napkins. But, you know, Kelly set the table and good for her. She didn't need my help. So why would she invite me into those moments? Why would she invite me to participate in those moments? It's because she wanted a relationship with me. She wanted to spend time with me. She wanted us to know each other better than we did before. So she invited me into an activity that she enjoyed doing because she thought this activity brings me joy and I bet it's going to bring her joy too. That's what God does when he invites us into partnership. He says, man, I have such joy when I see someone's life transform. I'm going to let you have a piece of that. I'm going to let you partner with me to see people discipled and transformed because if it brings me joy, I know that it'll bring you joy. God partners with us in our creativity. It It brings God joy to create. And so when we create, it brings us joy, and God allows us to have that experience in this life because we're partnering with him to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God invites us to partner with him. He chooses to partner with us, and we can trust him in that because the promise never stops with us. The promise never stops with us. The truth is that we can trust God because the promise goes beyond our own lives and our own experience. We can trust God because the promise goes beyond us. In Genesis chapter 17, we see the third interaction between God and Abram. And this is the moment when God changes his name. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. So this is, this is almost 25 years after the initial promise. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. 
You walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, not just one son, but many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. You see, the shift in his name here is very small, but it's very significant. The name Abram meant the father is exalted, exalted father. So the name Abram was probably a way to honor Abram's father. It was about the past. It was about someone else's vision. It was about somebody else's promise. His name carried honor to the past, but the name Abraham meant father of many. Meant father of many. So before the promise is even fulfilled, God changed Abraham's name to name him as a significant ancestor. Even though Abraham wasn't anybody's ancestor yet, God gave him the name that meant father of many nations. God is making sure Abraham understands it's not just one son that has been promised, which is what he asked for. Abraham will be a father of many nations as well as kings. See, the promise seems to be that the generations born of Isaac would be God's chosen people. That, that was what they thought the promise was. The promise, though, ended up being better than anybody thought it would be. Because as it turns out, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's lineage came Jesus Christ. Who made it possible not only for the Jewish people to call God their own, as God promised in verse 8, but also for all of us to be grafted onto the tree. Paul uses the metaphor of a tree when he talks about the nation of Israel. And he says, these were the chosen people. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, we've been grafted onto the tree. We're owners of the same promise that God gave to Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Abraham believed in a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. From the dead womb of Sarah came new life. Life that would, that would lead to many generations. The promise of God always turns out to be better than we expected. Abraham thought it was about a son, but it was about a nation. And the nation of Israel thought that it was about exclusivity. We are God's chosen people. We are the special nation that God favors us and no one else. But actually, from the beginning, it was about inclusivity. Because remember, in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. All people. It was never about exclusivity. It was about radical inclusivity. And God beginning a story of inclusivity and all of us being part of the family of God through the work of Jesus Christ. The promise wasn't Isaac. The promise was Jesus, who would ultimately fulfill the same promise. Jesus was raised to life, resurrected as the firstborn from the dead, because God is consistent in giving life from death. From the beginning of creation, God has been calling things into existence from nothing. From the beginning of time. So I want to ask you today, what is it, what is it about your life 
Where, where are the areas in your life where you have trouble trusting God? What promise have you given up on? What promise have you given up on in your own life? What names are you carrying with you that God wants to change today? We've been in this series. This is our fifth week in this series. And every week we've looked at a person that God wanted to change their story. God wanted to bring transformation into their lives. And I want you to know today that that promise doesn't stop with Abraham or Naomi or Jacob. The promise doesn't stop with them. God wants to do the same thing for us that he did for them. See, I imagine that if you asked Abram to label himself, he might have labeled himself barren. He might have labeled himself lost because he didn't know where he was going. He might have labeled himself as faithless or he might have labeled himself a stranger. Some of you may have come into this series or you've come into this day and you carry with you a name that maybe someone else has given you or maybe it's a name you've accepted for yourself like faithless or lost or stranger or hopeless or addict. I don't know what it is for you, but I know today that God wants to change your name. This is what he did for Abram. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham, but he also changed his name from barren to fruitful, from lost to directed. He may have called himself faithless, but later in the Bible, he's called a hero of faith. Abram was a stranger in a foreign country, but in the book of James, it says that Abraham was called a friend of God. He wasn't a stranger anymore. He was a friend of God. So this morning, as we end this series, we're going to take a few minutes and worship together because I believe, and I've been praying since the beginning of this series, I believe that for some of you, God wants to transform you and change your name. Maybe not the name on your birth certificate, if you want to do that have at it. But there might be some of you who carry with you a label and it's time for God to change that label. And it's time for you to leave that label in the past and move on into the new thing that God is doing in your life. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to take a few minutes and worship together. And as we spend some time in worship, uh, the ushers team is going to pass out some blank name tags. And what I want you to do with these name tags is I want you to Hold in your hand the hope that God has transformation in store for you. Hold in your hand the hope that God wants to change your story, that God wants to change your name. And I would love for you to take this name tag home with you. And when God speaks to you and changes your name, changes the label on your life, you write it on that name tag as a reminder of the promise that God has made to you. Let's take a moment to just reflect on what God is saying to us, and then we'll worship together. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.